for our sermon series right now. We're in a series uh, looking at the Psalms. We have been over the summer. And we're doing this because the Psalms have a unique way of helping us uh, to connect with God. Um, you know, one of the things um, that's true of the Bible is that it's incredibly honest. And I don't know how that strikes you, especially if you're newer to the faith and maybe newer to church. Um, you could, it, it's sort of easy to think that like Christians are supposed to be like the happy ones that just like that don't really get down. There's kind of like things just kind of work. And so we're just kind of happy and joyful all the time. If you read the Bible, that's not the case. Especially if you read the Psalms, that's not the case. The majority of the Psalms are Psalms of lament, of crying out to God. I think the pastor that was here filling in for me last week talked about that very thing. They're incredibly honest. And what they do is they help us in the hard moments of life by giving us words to pray. By giving us words and language that we didn't know that we needed to, to be able to connect with God in these hard realities of our lives. It functions like a prayer book for us. And this morning we're going to look at Psalm 138. You can find that passage uh, printed in your bulletin or if you have a Bible you can turn there. Um, in the restaurant world uh, to receive a Michelin star is like the ultimate honor. Um, there are five criteria uh, for, that Michelin uses to evaluate the food at the restaurant. Uh, the first is the ingredients of the food. It has to be like top-notch quality ingredients. Uh, secondly, the harmony of the flavors. Those ingredients, they obviously have to work well together. Uh, the third is the mastery of the techniques, how those good ingredients that go well together are prepared, what technique was used. The fourth is the personality of the chef as expressed through their cuisine. So does that dish show what that chef, what the one who made it is like? And then fifth, uh, is there consistency across the menu um, with the different types of food offered and is there consistency at this restaurant over time. And so that's the five criteria that Michelin uses to evaluate the best restaurants in the world. And a restaurant can receive anywhere from one to three Michelin stars. So one star is given to restaurants with top quality ingredients where dishes and distinct flavors are prepared to a consistently high standard. And just to get one Michelin star, if you're a restaurateur and that happens, that is, that's a huge deal. You've made it, basically, if you get one Michelin star. Two Michelin stars are awarded when the personality and talent of the chef are evident in their expertly crafted dishes. Their food is refined and inspired. That's two stars. Three Michelin stars is the highest award given for superlative cooking of chefs at the peak of their profession. Um, their cooking is elevated to an art form and some of their dishes are destined to become classics. So obviously three stars, top notch. You really made it as a chef. If you get three stars. And the inspectors for Michelin, this, is, this would be the most amazing job ever. They're like former restaurateurs and people in the food industry that go undercover to the best restaurants in the world and eat the best food and just evaluate it. And, and that you never know when they're coming to your restaurant. Multiple um, inspectors will come at different times and try out your food and try out the whole experience. And they will go back and circle up and then... On an annual basis, they will give out these Michelin stars. Now, it's important to note that for the Michelin star awards, they are evaluating only the food on the plate, not the decor of the restaurant, not the vibe of the restaurant, not the quality of the service, not whether how formal or informal the restaurant is. It is only the quality of food on the plate. So being awarded a Michelin star is a massive honor for the chef. Uh, there's a recent TV show that is all about cooking and it's about this chef 
that has been at a super high level, working at the best restaurants in the world, and has been awarded the three-star Michelin Award, the top honor. And he moves back home to basically take over cooking at his family's fledgling sandwich shop, this really small restaurant that is not even on the radar of the Michelin inspectors at all. So this three-star chef moves home to start taking care of this restaurant and cooking there. And um, there's lots of nuances to the story, but there's this moment where the chef is working with his sous chef um, named Sidney, and they're um, kind of trying some new dishes at this kind of little hole-in-the-wall restaurant. And the sous chef, she's this young, ambitious um, cook who, who, who dreams of like working her way up and getting awarded a Michelin star. And she's inspired by this chef she's working with. She's also really intimidated by him. And so um, she gets up the courage to ask him. She says, what was it like when you got the phone call from Michelin that you got the three stars? And this is how he responds. He says, the first 10 seconds felt like panic because I knew I had to keep them. I had to retain them. He said, your brain does this weird thing where it bypasses any sense of joy and just attaches itself to dread. Um, this was something that he had been working for um, his entire life. It's the ultimate goal of the chef, the highest honor. And rather than joy and gratitude when the phone call comes, it's the dread of maintaining it that he feels the most. Um, waiting for the other shoe to drop. Uh, zero sense of gratitude. I want you to think about your life. Um, what is something that you have really wanted, you've really worked hard for? Maybe it was like to start a company. Uh, maybe it was uh, to get married. Maybe it was to get into a certain school. Maybe make a certain amount of money. Wh whatever there was, a big goal, a big thing you were really longing and driving to. And, le and let's say that you got it. What was it like in finally getting the thing? Um, were you just overwhelmed, just flowing with gratitude and joy? Or like that chef, was it just a new sense of dread? A new sense of another thing to keep up with? Gratitude is hard. Uh, we will pray and pray and pray and fast and beg the Lord for something. And then he provides it. And then a lot of times we just like, kind of like just keep going. We don't even really acknowledge it. God just provided the thing we were begging him for for years. And we just move on. And rather than gratitude, it's dread. And we miss out on the gratitude. But in missing out on the gratitude, we miss out on an opportunity to connect with God. And that's what this psalm is going to do for us this morning. It's going to help us to connect with God in our gratitude. This is Psalm 138. You can see it in your bulletin. Let me read it for us. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name. For your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of, my, of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord. For they have heard the words of your mouth. They shall sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. But the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies. Your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands.
The word of the Lord. Father, we do thank you for your word. Oh, how we need to hear from you. Would you, by your Holy Spirit, speak to us. Uh, Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to believe. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so how do we stir up gratitude? Two things. First, by remembering who God is. And secondly, by paying attention to God's work in our lives. We'll talk about those two questions this morning. So first, if you want to be grateful, remember who God is. How do we do this? Um, okay, so I'm a compulsive uh, like list maker and note writer to myself because I'm very prone to forget really important things. Um, I'll put reminders on my phone. I use my count, the calendar on my phone. I'll write sometimes obnoxious like eight and a half by 11 size sheet of paper notes to myself to not forget something really important, set multiple alarms, just kind of go over the top with it. My wife Erin knows this about me, and um, one of the ways this manifests itself in our marriage is when we're driving somewhere together. Um, I can get in these um, modes when we're driving where um, maybe we've got some great music going and I'm feeling really inspired or, or like I'm just verbally processing something with her, and I'll just get to driving and she'll be sitting in the passenger seat, and I'll get so keyed in on what I'm talking about that I will totally forget where we're going and I'll, I'll t- completely miss the exit or the turn, just go right past it because I'm so consumed with, with what, um, whatever I'm thinking about or talking about. And early on in our marriage, she wouldn't say anything until after the fact, but then she sort of realized what was happening. And now she knows immediately that if I'm getting really keyed up about something and passionate about it, she's got to, babe, 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 hey, that's our exit. Take the exit. exit. Just making sure you're about to turn. And of course I play it off like, yeah, of co- yeah, 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 right, of course. Okay, yeah, I was going to turn. It's fine. Um, but I desperately need reminders to stay on track and to go the right direction, or I will get so distracted that I will go off course. All right, if we're going to uh, live day in and day out as followers of Jesus in this world, which if you are a Christian, if you, if you put your faith in Christ, that, that's a desire that you have to live as a follower of Jesus in all aspects of life. If we're going to do that, we desperately need reminders to stay on track and to go the right direction. Everything around us and inside of us is pushing us to forget God and to forget what he's like. Um, The evil one would love nothing more than to distract us from remembering God and his promises. And so we need reminders. What's the way that we remember who God is and what he's like? Worship. Worship. Um, Remember the context of the entire book of Psalms that we've been looking at. It was written for the entire people of God. Um, They're written to be sung together, prayed together. The context of the Psalms is corporate. It's communal. It's to be used in worship together with others. Um, most of what we do when we get together on Sunday mornings is remember. We get together in this gym to remember together what is true about God, about us, about His grace, His mercy, His love for us, about how we're called to live in this world, about what, it like, what it's like to do life together. We, we, that's what we do on Sundays. We get together and we remember. Um, Monday through Saturday are often days of forgetting where we get distracted by the world and by everything that we're just inundated with. And Sundays we come together and we remember. And we do that through worship. And this psalm is actually all about worship. Look at it. We see the act of worship in this psalm. Look at verses 1 and 2. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name. He's giving thanks. He's singing. Um, these are actual acts of worship. And, and, and that's likely the first thing uh, that comes to mind when you think about worship. 
And these might be things that sort of, they feel very churchy. Uh, giving thanks, singing. Um, and that's sort of I, our idea of worship. But the reality is that we all engage in the act of worship. And that's true no matter what your beliefs are. Even if you were to say that you're an atheist and you don't believe in any God or anything at all, you, even you engage in an act of worship. Um, the question is, what am I worshiping with my life? I want you to think about shoes. Um, with our kids getting ready to go back to school super early this year in just a couple weeks, uh, the annual back-to-school shoe shopping conversation has started in our house, which I always loved this as a kid. It was your chance to go to the mall and go to Foot Locker and just pick out your shoes that you'd be so excited to wear on the first day. Um, it is only amplified now, um, now that like sneakerhead culture has totally taken over. There has never been a cooler time to be getting shoes. I hope you appreciate that, kids. Um, but the stakes are pretty high for this purchase because there are so many op- really cool options out there. A few weeks ago, um, one of my daughters and I went to the Nike website and started scrolling through um, all the different options. Um, not only do they just offer some really cool things that you can just click and buy, but you can customize your own shoes with your own fabrics and colors and words and, and you can make them exactly how you want them, just one of one. It's totally amazing. And the sneaker industry is blowing up. Around the globe, it's, it's said to be a $75 billion industry with 5% expected growth next year. All right, zoom out. That's worship. That's worship. The preoccupation with shoes, the research, the mental and emotional bandwidth spent thinking about getting the shoes, the anticipation, the scrolling, the planning, uh, the dopamine hit uh, of what your custom sneakers will look like or, or um, uh, landing that pair of limited release shoes, even better. Um, the giving of your money, the offering to buy the shoes, the celebration of wearing the shoes. I can remember getting shoes as a kid. I would, I would just kind of put them up on the desk next to my bed the first night. It was almost like a little shrine where you're worshiping, you're celebrating this thing that you've just gotten, planning the outfits that you're going to wear with those new shoes. Uh, what does it do? It captures our hearts and our minds and our passion and our love. That's worship. When we engage in the act of worship, it does something to us. It shapes what we love. It shapes what we celebrate. It shapes what we're grateful for. The next pair of shoes, or maybe it's not shoes, maybe it's the renovation. Maybe it's the future marriage. Uh, Maybe it's the job title. Maybe it's getting into that school, being on that team. Um, What we worship shapes what we love and therefore it shapes our gratitude. When we get together and we sing about how merciful and kind and gentle Jesus is to undeserving, hard-hearted, proud people like us, even if we're not feeling it that day, it is doing something to us. Um, Engaging in that act of worship is actually stirring up gratitude in us for who God is and who we are. We see the act of worship all over this passage. We also see the content of worship. Um, All right, if it's not shoes or relationships or success, what ought to be the content of our worship? The passage tells us, look at the middle of verse 2. To your name, for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Verse 3, on the day I called, you answered me. Second part of verse 5, for great is the glory of the Lord. Uh, The content of our worship is God. It's God, his works, his character. 
Um, I think back to a number of years ago, we, we had a, a 60th birthday party for my father-in-law. And one of the things the family organized was this massive list of 60 things that we loved about, about my father-in-law. And, and part of the meal, the celebration, was reading these things off and just celebrating his life and his character. Um, this is what we do with God. And we celebrate him. We remember, according to this psalm, that God is loving. That he's faithful. That he hears us and answers us. That he's glorious and he's beautiful. And that pushes against, think about all the stories we tell ourselves without even realizing it about who God is. That he's just super disappointed with us. Or that he's indifferent. Or that he just, you know, begrudgingly waiting for us to get it together. Watching over us with a scowl on his face. Waiting for us to, to do more and to be better. That's what we think about God. This psalm, when we, we think about the content of the worship of his love and his faithfulness and how he answers us, that reframes who God is. Verse 6, what else does it say? For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. This amazing, glorious, big, high, mighty God, he pays attention to lowly people, to humble people, to, to dependent, to needy, to hurting people, to those who need help. God pays attention. That's who he is. That's what he's like. And the content of our worship then, when that's the thing we're celebrating in worship, it shapes us. And it shapes us in gratitude. All right, we said worship helps us to remember God. What is our role in it? What is our role in worship? We see that here. Verse 1, to give thanks. With what? With our whole heart. Everything inside of us. To sing out. Verse 2, to bow down. There's a physical component here. Our role is to worship God with every part of ourselves. Our internal loves and affections, physically bowing down to God. There are a ton of physical descriptions of worshiping God throughout the Bible uh, that make Presbyterians a little bit squirmy because this is, you know, foreign territory for us. But the uh, hands raised in Scripture, kneeling, lying face down on the ground, dancing, shouting, uh, worship engages our whole self, including our physical bodies. And our role is to be completely engaged in worship with our whole being. And in doing so, we are being formed as we remember who God is. And over time, there is less dread and more gratitude. If you want to be grateful, remember who God is. That's where the psalm is leading us. But secondly, if you want to be grateful, pay attention to God's work in your life. It is so easy to get discouraged and to feel like you're not enough. Um, about a month ago, I was running with two friends, and these two friends happened to be probably my two fastest running friends. Very fit, very good runners. And we were doing a longer run that had a lot of hills in it, and I just totally bonked. Uh, bonking is when your energy level suddenly plummets. Like mid-run, usually due to a lack of fuel and, and sugars and things like that, and it just... It's not like you're kind of getting tired. It's like you are done and you go from being able to run to barely able to put one foot in front of the other. And, um, you know, when we started this run, we were all running together and it was great having a conversation. And then I just, I, it happened after we hit a few hills. I just bonked and it, and it was over for me. And it felt like suddenly I was moving in slow motion and the image was my two friends just very easily, stride after stride, moving away effortlessly from me. And that's a really tough place to be. When you're struggling 
and you're barely hanging on and it feels like everyone else is zooming ahead of you. Sometimes it feels like we've bonked spiritually and that everyone else is just zooming ahead of us. Maybe that's even the story that you've told yourself coming here this morning. It was really hard for you to walk in these doors because you feel like this is just going to remind me of how I'm not doing this whole Christianity thing right. I'm going to look around and see a bunch of people who have figured it out. You feel like you've spiritually bonked. You're struggling with the same sins you've struggled with for years. Wondering, will I ever change? Um, You feel like you can't stop going to those websites. Uh, You woke up hungover again after you swore you were going to stop. You you let your words go. You spoke poorly about that person after you said you were going to be done with that. Again. You're still not motivated to read your Bible and pray. Again. Um, Sometimes it feels like we've bonked. And that God is not at work. And rather than feeling grateful to God, we feel just this lingering sense of dread about ourselves and our lives and our spirituality. And um, that's, by the way, not a feeling uh, only for like bad Christians um, or weak Christians. Uh, That is a feeling that is common to the life of the Christian and the pastor. What's the remedy when it feels like we've bonked spiritually? Uh, The remedy is to pay attention to how God is actually at work in our lives. That's what David is doing in this psalm. He's paying attention to the ways that God has been at work for him and the ways that he's currently at work in his life. And and in so doing, he's giving us some categories to reflect on God's work in our lives. What do we see? We see that God is at work making us stronger. Look at verse 3. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. David prayed, God answered him, and what? He made his soul stronger. Um, You could also translate that as, you made me bold in my soul with strength. Who doesn't want to be bold in their soul with strength? And do you see where the strength comes from? It's not something that we muster up. It's not something that we train for and build in ourselves over time. The strength comes from God. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you actually become united to him. You become one with him. The scriptures say that you are in Christ and Christ is then in you. This means that you have the resources of Jesus in you. You have Jesus' strength in you. It's not your own, it's his. That's why the Apostle Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 12 that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. That when we are weak is, is when we're strong. That we actually grow in strength the more we acknowledge how weak we are. And so if you feel like you've bonked spiritually, what what if the way forward was not to try to run faster but to stop running? And to realize that you can't go on in your own strength. That you need strength from outside of yourself. You need to surrender to God. This is part of God's work in our lives. He's at work making us stronger. Do you have eyes to see the ways God's doing that right now with you? He is. What else? God's at work protecting us. Look at verse 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies. and Your right hand delivers me. I've shared this story before, but when I was in sixth grade, I was getting picked on in school. And... um, this kid that was picking on me was kind of this, basically the school bully. And it was the worst. It was the worst. Um, there were a few days I can remember where I was afraid to go to school. And uh, definitely multiple days where I was afraid to, that I would like cross paths with this kid. 
in the hall at school. I was not a particularly tough kid, um, but I had this friend named Sean Alvarez. Sean Alvarez was a very tough kid. And um, I'll never forget walking out of school one afternoon and this, this bully, this kid that was picking on me, saw me. I was about to get on the bus and, um, and, uh, and, and, and Sean, you know, had, had caught wind of all this. And I was getting on the bus, this kid was approaching me and Sean goes over and grabs him by the shirt and pulls him aside. And I get on the bus and I'm not exactly sure what happened after that. But Sean convinced this guy to never pick on me again. It was no longer a problem after Sean said or did whatever he said or did to this bully. But I couldn't fight for myself. I was just, so I was a kid. I couldn't defend myself, but Sean stepped in. Do you know that God fights for you? That he fights for you? That there are, he's fighting for you in, in, in battles that you don't even know are happening. Um, there are unseen spiritual battles happening all the time. And God is protecting us from all of it. There are threats to us that we will never even know about because God heads it off at the pass. It never gets to us. That's one of the ways God is at work in your life right now. Do you know what he's protecting you from? He's sustaining you through all the trouble that you're walking through. How else is God at work? God's at work by giving us purpose. Look at verse 8. He says, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Um, If you feel like you've bonked spiritually, it's likely that you feel very purposeless. Like you you just can't get it right, so what's it all matter anyways? um, You kind of lose all sense of direction and all kind of drive, spiritually speaking. You just kind of give up and you drift back into whatever you were before you started walking with Jesus. Um, This is saying that with God you have purpose. You have meaning in him. Uh, You specifically, the way that he's made you, the way that he's written your story and is writing your story is so full of purpose. What's the purpose? To be with God. He says it over and over again throughout the Bible in lots of different ways that the point of all of it is that we would be with God, known by him, in relationship with him, getting our deepest intimacies met from him. In love with God, being loved by God, being near to him, walking with him, to be a friend of his. This is what we're created for. This is our purpose. And this psalm says that God's going to fulfill that purpose. That he's actually more committed to this being a reality for us than we are. Look at how the psalm ends. Verse 8. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Do you ever start something and lose interest and... Give up. About six months ago, we smelled a dead animal in the wall, which has happened multiple times at our house. Sorry to tell you this right before lunch. And uh, normally we just kind of let it ride for a few days and it has a way of kind of going away and don't know what happens behind the wall, but it just sort of goes away. Uh, But in, in this situation, it was the wall between my oldest daughter's room and the garage. And so... You know, I had this thought, it's just the garage wall. It's not, it's not a nice wall. It's just out in a you know, dirty garage. And so called a few of the neighbors and said, hey, let's go on a re- re- recovery mission. Uh, and let's cut open the wall and find the dead animal and remove it. So, of course, they were excited about that. They came over and a lot of anticipation and, and, and build up. And um, we're all in the garage and I get the sheetrock knife and I, I cut the square. We try to sniff the wall to isolate where the smell was. And I get the sheetrock knife and I cut out the square 
And I, as I've said before, I'm not the handiest of people. I realized as soon as I cut this wall open, the whole wall is full of insulation. Because it's an exterior wall, technically, to the house. And so I can't see anything in there. It's all insulation. And I cut the thing too high. And so these, these two-by-fours run sideways in the middle of the wall. So I couldn't see down where the animal was anyways. All this buildup, all this excitement. And I didn't find the animal. Which was super disappointing. Now... After all that buildup, all that excitement about the mission, that was six months ago. Guess what still hasn't been done? I have not patched the sheetrock yet. So when you come into my garage, you will see this square that is just sort of pushed back into the wall, kind of hanging out of there. But I made the cut, lost interest, got sidetracked, left it undone. There are all kinds of projects like that in my house. And I know, you know, you can see things like that in your own life. How do we know God's not going to lose interest in us? How do we know that he will continue this work in us? That he won't forsake the work of his hands? It's the cross of Jesus. The cross is the guarantee that God will be faithful to us. He will continue this work in us. That that he won't forsake the work of his hands. That that he's going to finish what he started in us. Colossians in the New Testament says that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. You know what that means? That he was setting a pattern that we would follow. That as Jesus was resurrected from the dead and made new, we will be resurrected from the dead and made new. Um, The Apostle Paul says that we've been buried with him in baptism and therefore we will be raised with him in his resurrection. Uh, Philippians 1.6 says that he who began this good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Um, If you're in a low place spiritually right now, like you've bonked, and it just feels like everyone else is zooming ahead, Um, And rather than, you know, experiencing a bunch of gratitude and joy, you just feel dread right now. If that's where you are today, know that God is at work in you. That's what he is telling you through his word right now, that he is at work in you. And that he will continue to be at work in you. Um, If you are just limping along, cry out to him and ask him to give you eyes to see him, to remember what he's like. Um, to, to, to even see the specific ways of what he's up to right now in your life. To remind you that he's going to finish the work. That the story's not over. That right now is not ultimate. And the more that we sit in that, the more grateful we become. The more that we take our eyes off ourselves and fix our eyes on Jesus, that's when the gratitude comes. Um, what's on offer to you this morning is not more doing It's not more performing. It's not a plan to be more grateful. What's on offer to you this morning is Jesus himself. Uh, And when he captures your heart, gratitude is going to be just a sweet byproduct of really knowing him and being known by him. I want you to receive him by faith today. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We are grateful that in the midst of So much of what we experience in life, even in uh, the dread that comes after experiencing good things, that you meet us in that, that you come to us. Uh, Thank you that for those who feel like they have just spiritually bonked, that you are there picking us up, even carrying us. We walk not with our own strength, but with your strength. I know how we need to hear that, though. Father, I pray especially for those who are discouraged this morning, that feel like They're just not getting anywhere. Would you give them eyes to see that 
you are at work. And you'll continue to be at work. And the future has been guaranteed by the resurrection of your son. Oh, Father, and would you even prepare us now to come to the table of your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.